Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. For this podcast, we decided that we would chat a little bit about our book project uh, to give a little insight as to what it was that drove us to go ahead and put it together, how we think that it fits within the uh, existing body of literature that's out there, and why we thought that it would be a helpful uh, tool for investors to be able to use to improve their process. The book is called Understanding Behavioral Bias. Bias is all in capitals, with the S being a dollar sign, with the acknowledgement that biases are large and important and can impact our investing. Um, the subline is a guide to improving financial decision making. And uh, just as a reminder, I am an academic researcher who spent my career doing research on the brain and on individual thinking and reasoning and differences. And George is a hedge fund manager who undergoes all sorts of thinking in his uh, practical life. We got together um, sort of opportunistically uh, and started right away talking about research. So whenever George and I would talk, he would be infectiously curious about what my lab was up to and what I made of a variety of uh, the research that's out there. And likewise, I was always interested in learning more about investing. Um, it's a, you know, a supreme act of reasoning and decision-making with very obvious consequences. So it's a very interesting uh, domain of expertise. So we, we both mutually had an interest in one another's work, just uh, out of curiosity's sake. And uh, we just started having a lot of conversations, which uh, led to the, the sort of uh, germ of an idea, hey, what if we created some type of a guide for people that was informed both from the research side and from the practitioner side? Yeah, we, when we talked about the various literature that was out there on behavioral bias, it seemed that most books were simply lists of biases, that a lot of the biases tend to overlap some of which were not even relevant. And uh, from Dan's perspective, a lot of which had absolutely no academic research that supported the actual existence of these biases. Right. And, and from the academic standpoint, I think there was a period of time over a number of decades where people would author papers about a particular effect, and they would call it something like the ostrich effect, or the confirmation bias, or the IKEA effect. And by giving it a name and sort of uh, uniquely presenting it, it often gave the feel that all of these biases were independent of one another, and um, it was extremely hard to know, you know, what was the commonality among them? Uh, were they relevant out in the world? Because oftentimes these would originate in lab-based, uh, either psychological or um, sometimes in neuroscience studies. Uh, and uh, figuring out if they were actually relevant in the world and how. And then we also asked the question, you know, how, how would you make sense of these? Was there any way to classify the biases? And so we thought a lot about that. Yeah, Dan uh, very cleverly came up with some categorization of the various biases that uh, affect us based off of uh, the types of brain function uh, that you're engaged in which was really interesting because you could start to see clusters not only of these biases based on brain function, but also uh, a lot of the remedies tended to carry over 
for a number of different biases. And we thought the remedies were particularly important because almost all of the literature that we saw would simply identify the bias as if that in and of itself was sufficient for you to be able to cope with it without providing any suggested best practice to overcome the particular bias. So we wanted it to be both practical and a better mechanism to be able to organize your understanding of what part of brain function was causing these biases to occur. Right. And there were several uh, very interesting and successful books out there. I'm, I'm reminded of Dan Ariely's Predictably Irrational. Ariely is a behavioral economist who uh, was really able to give a lot of colorful examples of how different biases might make us irrational. Um, and uh, I think that was an important book in terms of getting people to understand that there were these uh, shortcuts in our thinking or blind spots in our thinking. We were quite inspired by uh, Richard Hoyer's book, The Psychology of Intelligence Analysis. Hoyer is a uh, former government uh, operative who really tried to give some best practices to the intelligence community on avoiding cognitive bias. And both Ariely and Hoyer end up getting into cognition, less the brain, more kind of nuts and bolts cognition like memory and attention. Uh, what George and I tried to do was uh, really go one step further and try to look at the brain, basic, you know, fundamental brain research and how it could help to inform categories of biases. Uh, as George mentioned, we, we started to group um, biases based on, first of all, were they relevant? Like, could we think of examples in uh, investing or in day-to-day life where these were really impactful. And if we couldn't come up with a good example, we didn't end up putting it in the book. Right. I think that if you go to uh, Wikipedia, there is a entry on biases, and they list over 120 biases. And for our book, we managed to narrow the field down to about 25 uh, biases. Right. And sometimes those biases uh, do emerge from similar processes within the brain. So the book covers not only um, kind of some history of uh, brain research and uh, cognitive bias research, but also uh, leads in toward three key uh, organizational uh, areas that you can place these biases into. The first being attention. So our attention is uh, very uh, directive of what we're going to take in in terms of information and what we're going to remember later. Um, we have biases of attention where we, the saliency bias, if something's emotionally colorful and dramatic, we overattend to it. And so we spell out a variety of the uh, biases that we either are inattentive or too attentive to particular information. And we also provide a backstory on the brain's attention mechanisms and maybe offer some fundamental research on why attention is one of those uh, key processes. The second section of biases is about memory, noting the the limitations of our memory systems. We're not recording devices for uh, memory. We distort memories regularly. We uh, remember certain details as happening that didn't occur. uh, And we also miss a lot of details that did occur. So our memory limitations feed a whole series of biases that uh, have to do with whether we remember properly or not, like the availability heuristic or recency bias or primacy bias. And then thirdly, the last section we call knowledge biases, which have to do with things about uh, the world that we think we know that end up distorting, they sort of form like distortion lenses to where we, we make certain errors that kind of come about because of that. And that's similar to Dan Ariely's term, predictably irrational, our knowledge in some ways makes us irrational. So that was the first order of business, was group 
uh, relevant biases based on these three categories. And I think we were relatively successful in uh, lining up biases that seemed related to one another in ways that hadn't been pointed out before. And then ultimately, after we provided this categorization and discussion of the biases, we would provide remedies with respect to each bias after we discussed them. Uh, And then a summary of investment process in the end, which we've summarized to some degree in a series of these, these podcasts, that also talks about where different biases come up and different practices that you can put into place like, for instance, use of a devil's advocate uh, or uh, the implementation of checklists, the implementation of pre-mortems, post-mortems, and just different tools that you can bring to bear uh, to overcome a lot of the issues that are created by bias, which we felt to be really lacking in most of the literature. These tools are uh, similar to tools that we actually use in practice uh, at SaberPoint Capital, which is the hedge fund that I run. So just by way of the organization, that this, this whole uh, set of events led to us. Uh, initially, we present you in the introductory chapter with some background on um, our brain and our memories and knowledge systems. And then we divide the book into uh, four key sections. One section is on attention biases, which starts with a chapter on the brain and attention, what we know about it, how it functions, and how it's relevant to your investing. Then we go through uh, a detailed set of the attention biases. Uh, You can read these in isolation if you're particularly concerned about uh, one or another bias, or you can read them as a set. In each case, we offer basically a story of some of the basic fundamental research about the bias, how it's carried out in investing, the relevance of it, as well as brain research, And we offer remedies right there. So with each single bias, we try to offer you um, some tips you can address that with. Sections two and three do the same thing for our memory systems and memory biases, and then our knowledge systems and knowledge biases. And then the the fourth section, chapter eight, is all about best practices, which uh, can help you to address, again, whole sets of these biases in advance of experiencing the bias. So again, Uh, So many biases are based on our online errors of attention or errors of memory in the moment. It's extremely hard to address them in the moment, but you can sure put in place good practices in advance that are going to help you to avoid those uh, when they do arise. I think that's correct. So we had a great time putting this together, and uh, it allowed, I think, both Dan and I uh, to learn more from each other's perspectives. And ultimately, We think this will be a very helpful tool uh, for any person that wants to either understand behavioral bias in a more in-depth fashion as it relates to investing, or just any investor that wants to be able to improve their process uh, by guarding against and sometimes capitalizing on these biases that tend to haunt us. Whenever you do a writing project like this, you you always emerge from it with um, sort of a new perspective. As a basic academic researcher, I just learned an awful lot about investing, which I really appreciate how active you need to be and how uh, rich all that information is that's, that's available. It's a real supreme challenge for our information processing ability to make sense of and ultimately make money off of these complicated uh, factors out in the world. I took away a different perspective on biases as well. I, I started to realize that 
um, a lot of the research did overlap in ways that I hadn't perceived originally. And when you start to group the biases based on sort of these common cognitive functions, they become a lot less mysterious. So uh, not to say we understand them fully, but um, I had always wondered how would one, you know, de-bias an individual? How do you make someone more objective? And I, I do feel like there's not one single way. Uh, you have to really factor in the context in which the bias emerges and then address it based on whatever our own limitations are of our brains. You know, we're going to take a shortcut or we're just not going to take in enough information. And uh, so being sensitive to those factors gives you a um, sort of a playbook. And if you know about that, you can start to put things in place that are going to give you a better shot at, at limiting the damage uh, of behavioral bias. So when people talk about behavioral finance, you know, it's part of the CFA course now. Uh, you see the, the loss aversion curve. Um, so knowing about it is important. Um, just like they used to say in the old G.I. Joe cartoons, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> um, but knowing isn't enough. You have to also think through, you know, how do, how do I actually address that? Where does it come up in my investing practice? And uh, so in this book, we've attempted to uh, bridge that gap with you. Yeah, I think for me, uh, this helped flush out some blind spots in my own process. Uh, as Dan and I would go through various biases and think about, I could identify situations where we suffered from the bias in the fund, but at the same point in time, I couldn't think of a remedy that we'd put in place to overcome it. By engaging in this process, I was not only able to identify some of those, but then come up with some changes to our process, some tweaks that actually helped to mitigate some of those biases. So. It was pretty therapeutic from my perspective as a practitioner to be able to go through uh, and think about how some of these things could be harming us. But also, there's been a few situations that have arisen uh, recently where I was able to identify situations where other market participants that were likely suffering from these biases and able to capitalize on it and profit. So it's kind of like judo to some degree. You know, if you're opponent is moving in one direction and you can understand that you can use the weight of your opponent against them and uh, then capitalize on it. So sometimes these biases, they can be offensive tools as well as uh, things that we need to be able to guard against ourselves. Another thing we did for fun, uh, just because we, we sort of uh, wanted to add some color to the book, is we, we included quotes throughout that was a really interesting exercise because when you start getting quotes on biases, very few of them come from investors. Some of them do, like we definitely have some Warren Buffett in there, but uh, many don't necessarily come from the research uh, field or from the investment field. They come from, you know, Ben Franklin or Sun Tzu or um, uh, Ste you know, Stephen Wright. Yeah, I mean, like, pop culture figures make reference to these things. Uh, fictional characters make reference to bias. For me, that kind of highlighted the universal quality of behavioral biases, that uh, these have actually been understood since maybe the time of Plato. We had a lot of fun kind of tying these things in where, you know, a quote from a historical figure just perfectly fit an, ex an example of, say, hindsight bias or, um, you know, ignoring uh, information to your peril. They're just really ubiquitous. To sum it up, I think we had a really good time putting it together and I think for any investor who uh, wants to improve their abilities, this is a great tool to further that end. 
Right. So with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, we hope you uh, check out Understanding Behavioral Bias, Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making, available on Amazon, both in print and electronic formats. And if you enjoy the book, please leave us a review. Yeah, that would be really helpful. Yeah, we'd appreciate that. All right. Uh, we'll go uh, learn and maybe start up a new project. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.